worship. Uh, as we collect our offering, a couple things to remind you. The Easter egg hunt is really um, a mechanism for a, a much larger ministry, which is our paper angel closet. Um, that is just part of the ministry. We are going to have a trailer, and we are publicizing a drop-off date for the paper angel closet. Um, uh, we do have some flyers that either we'll have available this week or next week um, that you can take to your family, your friends, work. Um, this is a, a place that you can engage in a lot of different people with a lot of different ways. Uh, to invite them to tell other people about the Paper Angel Closet, what we're doing, and to invite them to come drop off goods at that day <clears throat> so we can stack the closet, so we continue to do this uh, good work. Uh, so that's really what we're doing. We do need people to canvas the neighborhood the next two weekends, uh, so sign up out in the coffee shop if you're interested in that. We need candy for eggs. You can bring that and put that in R2-D2 on Saturday. Um, and we also need people to be there during the day uh, on that Saturday. So make sure that you can come and load items, help organize the Easter egg hunt, uh, do a lot of that different kind of stuff. Also, this Tuesday, which is St. Patrick's Day, uh, the Sherland United Methodist Church, our uh, partner congregation, is having their world-famous St. Patrick's Day corned beef and cabbage dinner. It is very well known. It's probably the thing they do that they are most well known for. Um, and so if you want good food, they do have roast beef if you don't like corned beef and cabbage. All kinds of different potatoes, carrots, and of course the world famous Sherlin pies will be there. Um, so there will be all kinds of food. It's $10 for adults. I think maybe uh, $6 for uh, younger people. Uh, and then little kids are free, of course. Uh, come and enjoy that. Uh, Sherlin... Um, Last month had a fundraiser for the New Life Paper Angel Closet and raised $617 and gave that completely to us. They didn't hold anything back. <clears throat> they gave all of that money for, to the Paper Angel Closet and they've given more. They've been collecting items every month. Um, so they are partnering with you. I encourage from 4 to 7 on Tuesday, go uh, and support their ministry uh, through the Paper Angel Closet. Get to know the, or through um, their uh, St. Patrick's Day dinner. Get to know them a little bit better, well, uh, better as well. All right, well, uh, that being said, let's uh, have a word of prayer and a transition to our forming time. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this beautiful weekend, this beautiful sign of spring. We ask that you send your spirit upon us now. Help us truly understand your miraculous works. Help us truly understand these mysterious signs. Open our hearts and our minds so that we may understand how they point us to you. We pray this in your holy name. In the name of Jesus Christ, your only Son. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know how many of you are familiar with uh, waves. Do we have any surfers? Surfing's not a real big thing in... Illinois, but if you are from a place where they had waves, perhaps, you might be familiar with that. Waves are fairly unpredictable. That's kind of the exciting thing about them. They uh, can kind of come on all of a sudden. Sometimes they're small, sometimes they're rough, sometimes they're smooth, sometimes they're huge. <clears throat> and they are very unpredictable. A couple years ago, we took um, 
too many kids. Sometimes, have you ever done that? Have you ever uh, taken too many children someplace? <clears throat> I've done that too many times in my life, I think. Um, now I do that every day. But, uh, no. <clears throat> but, but a couple years ago, we took uh, our nieces and nephews and some of their friends, and, and I think even some, some of the kids from here, uh, a lot of kids to Magic Waters. Um, and we did that a few times, and so we were having fun, and, you know, nobody got hurt. And we were in the wave pool. And, and I've, I don't know if you've ever maybe been in the wave pool at Magic Waters or one of these places. And it's fun and, and whatever. And, and my oldest niece and her friend, um, I don't know how old they, maybe 10 at the time, uh, they, were, they were swimming out maybe a little bit farther than they should have been. Because, you know, the deeper you get in the wave pool, the bigger the waves and so I, I was kind of standing back trying to watch all the kids. It's just Jennifer and I. And we're trying to watch all the kids and see what's going on. And so I'm, I'm kind of near the middle of the wave pool. And it's a huge wave pool. And it was a nice day. So there's hundreds of people there, of course. And, and I could see that her and her friend were having some problems. Because they had gotten out a little too far. Uh, and, and they were starting to struggle. And of course, it's a safe environment in the sense they can turn the machine off and the lifeguard can come and save you. But... You know, you don't want to do that if you don't have to. And so I started to swim out. And I am a fairly decent swimmer. I grew up um, all my life around rivers. And, and, of course, in Ottawa, I grew up on two rivers, the Fox and the Illinois. And so uh, in third grade and fifth grade and junior high and high school, everyone had swimming lessons. It was just what you were expected to do. It was part of the curriculum because we lived on rivers. Uh, and we spent the summer in Wisconsin on a lake. And so I, I learned how to swim very very well. And so I'm not the best swimmer, but I'm certainly not bad. <clears throat> so I, I swam out to the steep end. The waves are like crashing all around. You know, you're trying just to get yourself going. And I'm not familiar with waves. We don't have a lot of those. We have undercurrents in rivers, not waves in the rivers. <clears throat> and, and I get hold of these two 10-year-old girls who are, at this point, very panicky. And a, as you can imagine, two panicked 10-year-old girls um, holding on to you while you're trying to swim in nice water is difficult. When there are several foot waves coming around you, it's even more difficult. But eventually we got, we got to safety and they were fine and, and everything was okay. <clears throat> but it was still pretty scary. And when things get out of control like that, when there are these storms in our lives, when we're out of our element, when we're in the middle of a wave, things can get out of control real fast. And so that's the, the kind of setting of our miracle today. So as we go into our uh, fifth sign in the Gospel of John, we look at John chapter 6, and it's the, the kind of middle of John chapter 6, 16 through 21. This story is also in Matthew and Mark. Let me point behind me. Uh, Matthew and Mark. Uh, and, and it's a little different in each of the stories, so we'll, we'll reference some of that um, if you're interested in looking at that this week. When evening came... Jesus' disciples went down to the lake. They got into a boat, and as they were crossing to Capernaum, it was already getting dark, and Jesus hadn't come to them yet. Now the water was getting rough because a storm wind was blowing. When the wind had driven them out about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the water. He was approaching the boat, and they were afraid. He said to them, I am. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and just then, the boat reached the land where they had been heading. 
we need to kind of back up and, and kind of see what had happened because this is one of these places where we have miracle, bam, miracle. R- literally r- two miracles back-to-back, the fourth and the fifth miracle, back-to-back, both in the Scripture and chronologically. So Jesus had just fed about 20,000 people, right? We talked about that last week, with five loaves and two fish. And that was a pretty exciting miracle. In fact, it was so impressive that that 20,000 people wanted to make Jesus king. They actually kind of rushed him and were trying to raise him up as their king. Well, Jesus did not want that to happen, so he kind of excused himself, the scripture says, and he went off to pray. One of the other gospels says that he told the disciples that I'll meet you on the other side. And so they had kind of assumed that they would take the boat and then he would walk around the shore. Because we're still, we're talking about a sea. So that was his intention, or, or that's what they thought his intention would be. So it was growing darker and darker. Jesus was not there. So they assumed, you know, we can read this and say, well, why did the disciples leave Jesus all by himself? Well, I think they assumed that he uh, was going to meet him on the other side. So it was getting dark, and you do not want to be out when it's too dark in a boat without lights. There wasn't a lot of lighting back then. So they get in the boat, and they start to cross. Now that's when a storm suddenly came on and started to toss this little bit, this little boat around. Now the Sea of Galilee is plagued with these sudden storms because uh, that just then can come right out of nowhere. And they can take on um, kind of uh, these huge waves. And and it's been recorded even in recent history, as late as the 90s, 1990s, uh, that waves up to 10 feet on this little Sea of Galilee. So there's all kinds of uh, history of these sudden storms and these huge waves. So Jesus at this time is sitting on the mountains and we believe that he's praying, waiting for his disciples. Whether by mysterious power or whether by the light of the moon, he's able to see his friends are in trouble. So Jesus had gone away, he's praying, he's sitting, and he sees that the little boat that his friends are in is tossing and turning. And and one of the scriptures actually says, that he could see them struggling with their oars, that they were you know, just trying to get anywhere they could, but they just were in zero control. And that's when Jesus acted. Now we know the Sea of Galilee is about seven and a half miles wide. It's 17 miles long. And at the northernmost end, it's still four miles wide. So at the very kind of uh, shallowest part, it's still four miles from shore to shore. Now the Gospel writer tells us they were three or four miles out to sea. If they were in the center... That's a long way from shore. Even if they were uh, at the very northern end of the sea, that was still about a mile away from shore. Whether or not it was one or four miles, Jesus walked out to them. That is the miracle. And regardless of how long it was, one mile is quite a walk. Four miles is quite a walk. Four miles on water... Well, that's impossible because human beings can't walk on water, can they? Actually, we would have to travel 67 miles an hour running. That wouldn't be walking unless you could speed walk that fast. If you could speed walk 67 miles per hour, you could walk on water. But humans are not capable of doing that. It would take 15 times the amount of energy we are able to produce to be able 
to do that. But Jesus walks. And not only is He walking on water, He's walking in the dark amid a storm and over waves. The fifth miracle demonstrates Jesus' mastery over the forces of nature. We may understand Mother Nature better than we ever have in human history, but Mother Nature is still powerful and unpredictable. And it certainly was in this scenario. Jesus is walking across the water in the middle of waves, in the middle of a storm, but he seems calm. He seems collective. He brings the storm to its knees. Ultimately, he rescues his disciples. John's version of the story says they tried to take him into the boat, and as soon as they did that, they found themselves on the shore. The storm had passed. This is the lesson. Jesus is the Lord of all things natural. The earth, the weather, all aspects of creation, even the winds and the waves kneel before their Lord, Jesus Christ. Now this should come as no surprise to us, In each of these seven signs, Jesus is pointing us to God, and by walking on water, Jesus is pointing us back to the very first miracle, creation. In the book of Genesis, the first chapter, the very first verse of the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, that was the first miracle. God creates. The second miracle follows, and it's not let there be light. Let's call that the third miracle. I believe the second miracle is this. The earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep sea, and God's wind swept over the waters. Now, it's easy to skip this miracle, but it's what Jesus is pointing to. When God began, that's the focal word, to create, God is using raw materials. The earth was without shape, without form. Creation is kind of at its raw essence. As a builder builds, they start with something raw. Carpenter creates furniture, they start with something raw, wood. And they craft it into something beautiful. I believe creation is this beautiful story of chaos and raw material being crafted into something wonderful. Now, when the Bible says the earth was without shape or form and it was dark over the deep sea, that's actually a reference to Tiamat, the ancient god of chaos, a god that could not be tamed. So what's the second miracle? God's wind, the Hebrew word ruach or spirit, swept over the waters and calmed the chaos. God brought order to chaos. And day by day, God continued to order this beautiful creation that we now live in. We see this throughout prehistory and history with the people of Israel. God commands a storm that floods the earth, rains for 40 days and 40 nights. God backs the storm off and land appears. God creates a beautiful rainbow in the sky to promise a covenant that there would not be another flood. God sends ten plagues upon Egypt. Several of those plagues are meteorological. It's a fun word. In nature. 
God parts the Red Sea as the Israelites are able to escape from the Egyptians. God guides them with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. You can skip over that, but that's pretty cool. Throughout Scripture, and arguably throughout history, God is master of all of creation. Even its most chaotic and unpredictable aspects. Now in the United Methodist Church, pastors are appointed. The bishop working with district superintendents and uh, the cabinet of each annual conference works with the paperwork that pastors fill out, the paperwork that congregations fill out, and every year decides who goes where. That's the appointment process. It's pretty exciting. I have lived under that appointment process my entire life. And generally how it goes is you get a phone call. It's happened to me several times. You get a phone call by another DS and they say, are you interested in taking this appointment? And you can say no. It's true. You can say no. You can. I'm not trying to spoil anything for our candidates in the room. You can say no. It's always an option. Um, at, At least once a year you can say no. But when you say yes, or or whether you say yes or no, you have about 24 hours to think about it um, before you need to go back. And it's a whole domino effect, them trying to figure out the appointment system. It's kind of chaotic in itself. And so you don't have a lot of time to really look into where you're going or uh, what you're doing. You kind of have to talk to your family and pray about it and kind of hope God's going to give you a a message real quick, uh, whether you need to go or not, and, and have faith that the cabinet and the bishop Uh, are also in that kind of prayerful mindset as well and being spirit-led. So growing up one year, uh, my father said yes to an appointment. And so come July, when all pastors in the United Methodist Church move, we moved to this new appointment. And uh, we got to the parsonage, and uh, the garbage hadn't been picked up for at least weeks, maybe months. And then uh, about a week later, the power got turned off. Then about a week later, my father found out that the church was close to bankruptcy. Bishop didn't know anything about that. My father obviously didn't know anything about that. District superintendent didn't know anything about that. And it was pretty chaotic. For four years, my father worked with uh, the IRS and helped that church get out of that. And, And even to this day, the majority of that congregation has no idea whatever happened or what was really going on. But it's chaotic. You never knew what to expect. And after four years, my father got another call, and he said yes. And we moved again, and we started another adventure. Now, everyone knows how unpredictable storms can be, and we know that because not even Tom Skilling is 100% right, correct? 99.9% maybe. But the storms of life are as unpredictable as our meteorological storms. Try to use that word one more time during the service. If life is a straight road from beginning to end, it often seems like we come across traffic, closed roads, wrong turns, pretty much anything and everything that can throw us off course. Every new diagnosis. Every hardship. Every new opportunity. Every lost 
opportunity. Every sleepless night, every struggle with addiction, depression, or grief, everything that isn't the norm can throw off life. And when we're thrown off course, sometimes we get lost in the storm. Sometimes we let chaos overtake us and we lose our focus, we lose our family, we lose our friends, we even lose our vocation. Sometimes people even lose their lives. You cannot predict the storms of life. You can prepare yourself for them, just like you can prepare yourself for a storm. But ultimately, our best preparation can fall short. So what do we do? The fifth miracle or sign shows us a Jesus who can walk on the water, who can walk among waves. Shows us a Jesus who can see in the darkness, can see through a storm. It shows us a Jesus who can bring peace in a very chaotic time. If Jesus can calm a natural storm, don't you think he can bring peace and calm to the storms of your life? I'm not saying Jesus is going to take away that storm, but I believe Jesus can bring calm. And I think the fifth miracle, we see just how Jesus does it. So here, very quickly, Jesus does four things that I believe he does in the storms of our life. First, he watches. This is important. Jesus is sitting on that hill, and he is watching his friends. Do you not think Jesus is watching you? I don't make like Santa Claus kind of creepy watching, but... If you are looking out for the best interest of the people you love, don't you think God, who loves you ultimately perfectly, is looking out for your best interest, is watching you during your high times and low times, is always looking with a caring and watchful eye? Second, and this is the good news because it's not just about watching, Jesus comes. He goes to his friends. He goes to his disciples. And he walks on water to do it. What can stop Jesus from reaching us in the middle of a storm? There's nothing. Nothing. Third, Jesus helps. He helps and he encourages the disciples. This is what he says, I am. We know later on, through the Gospel of John, they didn't quite get it at this point, but we know Jesus is saying, I am. He's saying, I am God. And he says, don't be afraid. And how many times does God send messengers? And how many times do we see Jesus say it himself? Do not be afraid. Jesus reminds the disciples, although they didn't get it, that when God is on your side, there's nothing to be afraid of. When God is watching you and willing to come to you, you have no reason to be afraid. And finally, and this is great, Jesus brings them to the shore. Don't miss that part of the story. They reached out for him and they found themselves on safe shores. Jesus will help you if you let him into your life. They invited him in the boat. I think that's important. If you invite Jesus into the middle of your storm, you may find yourself on a shore. Doesn't mean the boat won't be wrecked, doesn't mean you won't have water everywhere hair might be messed up but you'll be on land sometimes that's all you need in the middle of a storm 
If you believe in Christ, one way or another, He will bring you to safety. Where the shore is, well, that's His will. (laughs) And that's okay. Now the fifth sign points us to a God who is master of the storm and the storms of the world and the storms of our lives. Both and. As the old hymn says, when the storms of life are raging, when the world is tossing me like a ship upon the sea, you who rules wind and water, stand by me. No matter what the storm, no matter what the circumstance, when Christ is on your side, you will find yourself on the shore. Amen. have a word of prayer. Just remembering those who uh, can't be here and we'll transition to communion after that. Remembering those who we're praying for. Remembering those who need our peace and love. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for just a wonderful opportunity to gather together to worship you, to reflect on your miraculous power, your miraculous signs. Allow us to place our faith in you, to truly not be afraid. And allow us to encourage others that they too can be free from fear when they have faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that you be with all of those who are lost, who are in the middle of a storm, who are on rocky seas, who the waves are overpowering. Allow us to reach out so that they can come to know you. We just thank you for those uh, who we were able to meet this week. Three families, they received goods from our paper angel closet. We just ask that you bless them in their journeys. We just ask that you continue to bless 120 of our Bibles sent into the hands of students who are going to be reading them for the first time. Open those pages of Scripture into their hearts in a new way so they may know your Son, Jesus Christ, as we do. Continue to be through all of those who we are praying for, all of those who need miracles in their lives, and allow us to have faith that when we and our power fails, your power is still supreme. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.